Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. I've got a question for you. Um, have you ever been to Ikea? Yeah. Uh, you, you know, when I got married, you just got married. When I got married... Uh, I, I never realized the uh, amount of different hats that I'm going to have to start putting on as a husband. You know, it's only been a year, so I'm, I'm still learning. But uh, I'll just give you a couple of examples, right? Like one of the hats that husbands, uh, you know, that, that we should strive to wear is a, pro- a provider, right? Uh, another hat that we should strive to wear is, is a protector. Uh, another hat that we should strive to wear is um, lover. You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 there's, like there's many different hats that, that we're called to wear, but there's one hat that, uh, that I've learned that I needed to start wearing that completely caught me by surprise. And uh, that is the hat of a handyman. Yeah, I've never fixed anything in my life until I got married. So there were cabinet doors that I've had to start fixing, uh, stoves and countertops that I've had to start fixing, walls that I've had to start painting, um, the hat of a, of, a, of a handyman is, it, it was an interesting one for, for, uh, for me to learn, uh, you know, just to say the least. Uh, and the reason that, I, that I'm mentioning this is because uh, I've had a lot of failed experiences with wearing this hat of, of a handyman, right? Like, like, usually every project that I've done in the house, I've completely messed up. Like, the painting of the walls, the fixing of, of the cabinet doors, like, the project never met its completion, like, I've always devoured it or made it worse than what I already was. So then I did discover, in fact, I am a handyman. I am the man who hands the man the tools. In fact, in this case, which is completely demasculating, is that I am the man who hands the woman the tools. Because every time I can't fix anything, my wife fixes everything. God bless you. What is life? But, but here's the thing. I, I couldn't leave it that way. Right? Like my pride, it just wouldn't let me take me there. So I said, you know what? I'm going to commit to it. I'm going to be a handyman. Like I'm not, I'm not going to stay this way. So, so we bought a bed. We went from queen to king. Because I'm the king of the house. I'm kidding. We went, from, we went from queen to king. And I said, you know what? Like I'm going to build this frame. My wife was at work. I got home early. I said, you know what? I got nothing but time. So I look at the box and I do what men do. We look at the picture, we ignore the instructions, and we start building, right? And you know, I wasn't too intimidated because on the box, it said this, it said assembly in one hour. I was like, yo, I got this, 45 minutes, we're in this, it's going to be so easy. Four hours later, the bed started to reach its completion. You know, and the reason that it was difficult for me to do is because it had so many pieces to put together. Ikea, way too many pieces, not enough instructions. Had way too many pieces to get together. And then the process was just frustrating of putting all these pieces together. I think the thing that was most frustrating was this, is that I had a picture on the box, but what I was building looked nothing like the picture. So I've had to deassemble and reassemble. Deassemble and reassemble. Because what I was building was not matching the picture that was on the box. And if I think about our lives, I think a lot of us can look at our life this way. That our life 
is filled with a million and one pieces. We have friends, we have families, we have kids, and we get frustrated because the life that we envision that we will one day have, we currently do not have. And we begin to lose hope and we begin to lose peace because the life that we once envisioned and the life that we had pictured, our life currently doesn't look like that. And I feel like there may be people here this morning that you've had a dream for your life, you've had a picture for your life, you envision your life going in a certain direction, you thought that you wouldn't be at where you're at right now, you thought that your marriage would be in a better place, you thought that financially you would be in a better place, come on, we thought our families would be in a better place, come on, we're raising the kids the best we can and we're trying to take care of our spouse the best we can and then 10 years later, 5 years later or 3 months in, we look at it and we get frustrated because the life that we're building looks nothing like the, like the, like the picture that we have in our mind. And here we reach a conflict because then we get frustrated and we start to ask ourselves questions like, then what is life? What is the per I, I think the most confusing thing is this, right? I, I think what gets even worse is when your life does add up. When you have dotted all the I's and you have crossed all the T's. When your marriage actually is great. When your kids are actually doing very well. When your business seems to be flourishing and succeeding. When you're doing so great in school and you got straight A's, where life just feels like it's clicking on every single cylinder, but yet so, for some reason, we still feel empty and dissatisfied. And we feel like our life is not matching the life that we were called to have. It's crazy. It's this, it's this process of, of life. So then we ask ourselves these questions that just haunt us. What is life? What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose? Because it feels like I'm running on a treadmill and I'm going nowhere. Like I'm just trying to move forward and my life is not advancing. So I think the question that we have to ask ourselves this afternoon is how do we make life work? And the passage that we're about to read, I believe, is a passage that's going to give aid as to how we make this life work. You see, the author of this passage, I, I feel like God couldn't choose anybody better than the author of this passage. The author of this passage is a man by the name of Solomon. And Solomon was the son to King David. You see, Solomon was born with everything that he had. I, I mean, with, with all riches, with all glory, with all fame, with everything Solomon he had it. And if anyone was qualified enough to write a book on what our life should look like, it is none other than Solomon. He was the richest man to ever live. The Bible says that whatever pleasure he wanted, he got. The Bible says that he had about 700 wives, 300 concubines. He had about 1,000 women at his disposal. The Bible says this. The Bible says that one day, God met with Solomon and he told Solomon, hey Solomon, what do you want? Whatever you ask, I'll give it to you. And then Solomon says this, God, I want wisdom. And then because he said I wanted wisdom, God said, okay, not only am I going to give you wisdom, but I'm going to give you fame, I'm going to give you riches, I'm going to give you everything that your eye desired. And yet for some reason, Solomon felt and found himself in a place where he still felt empty. So then because he felt empty, Solomon decided, you know what, I'm going to experiment with life. So he'd indulged himself in every single pleasure that this world had to offer. He explored science. He grew in education. 
I mean, he was trying to just experience life in every single way that he could. And at the end of his life, scholars say that Solomon was probably writing this when he was advanced in age. And I love this because the, the, this passage just starts off calling him a, a teacher. And what he's wanting to do, what his goal is as an older gentleman, is to sit down and gather a group of younger people to explain to them, hey, this is the life that you should be living. And I want you to learn from my mistakes, right? Like the mistakes that I made, I don't want you to make. And this is the reason why I'm writing this book. And then he begins to identify the reasons for life. And this is what he says in Ecclesiastes verse 1, verses 1 to 3. You get it? You ready? This is what he said that life is all about. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Solomon says, whatever you want, I've had it. I've been there. I've done that. I've worn the the, the t-shirt. But at the end of the day, when we open up this book, the very first sentence that Solomon says is that life is completely meaningless. What Solomon is talking about is a life of emptiness. And emptiness is the reason why we try so hard to find significance in life. We, we always go through life trying to find the next thing that's going to excite us or the next thing that's going to light the fire that's within us or the next thing that's going to give us passion. But wouldn't you know that as soon as we feel like we found that one thing, we lose it. We feel like as soon as we found a thing that identifies the passion in our life, as soon as we found a thing that identifies life and purpose, we lose it. Somebody said this, life is like fireworks on the 4th of July. You get this explosion of lights in the sky to only be in the darkness once again. And then when we look at Solomon and he's using this word meaningless, the word that he's using, it's a Hebrew word and it's called hevel. You see, hevel is different from meaningless. The reason that we use meaningless is because it's the closest English word that the translators can use to kind of match this word hevel. Well, hevel kind of means it's like a vapor, an enigma. It's like smoke. It's, it's kind of like this. Ready? You saw that? No, that's the point. It, it, it's kind of like this. Like, like you see it for a moment. For a moment, it looks solid. For a moment, it looks like you can identify it, but then you try and grab it, and you can't get it. It's like a smoke or a vapor. He says that this life, it's, it's beyond meaningless. It's just confusing. It makes no sense, and I need somebody to help me identify what this means. And because of the emptiness that this man felt, and because of the emptiness that sometimes some of us feel, we go through life trying to find significance. We drive certain cars to make ourselves feel significant. We wear certain clothes to make ourselves feel significant. We try to get this certain career to make ourselves feel significant. We try to get these kind of grades in school to make ourselves feel significant. But what the main, what the main idea that, that Solomon is saying is this, is that a life without God is meaningless. That a life without God is meaningless. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 3, he says this, there's this term that he uses, and this term that he uses is life under the sun. Life under the sun. This is where men and women live, work, and play. But Solomon, what he's doing right now is that he's speaking in a horizontal way of looking at life. Solomon is describing a life without God. And when your life under the sun gets disconnected from life above the sun, you begin to live a life that is meaningless. And because of his emptiness and a lack of fulfillment, he then begins to experiment with life. And Ecclesiastes verse 2 says this. He says, I said to myself, come now. 
I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. I tried cheering myself up with wine. And he tried parting and drinking his life away. And yet, he found that life was empty. And when I look at the cultural climate of our city, I can't help but to see how true this statement really is. I work in downtown Miami and I get into work about 7.30 in the morning. And I drive through clubs and I drive through alleyways. And one of the craziest things that I see is people stumbling out of clubs, drunk or high or hungover because they're looking for a way to, to feel something, to feel significant. And I don't know what your life looks like at the moment. I don't know what you're struggling with behind closed doors or what you're searching for for significance. But can I tell you this afternoon that the significance is not found in the bottle of whiskey. It's not found in the joint, but his name is Jesus. And in him, you can have all significance. And he's just looking for a good time to fill the void that's in their hearts. You know, they say also that life, it can feel like a roller coaster. I don't know about you, but I love roller coasters. The feeling that I get from a roller coaster, I mean, for me, the higher it goes, the better. The deeper it goes, the better. The quicker it goes, the better. I, I want to feel like I'm about to die. Like, if not, like, then I just don't want to ride this roller coaster. But the crazy thing about riding a roller coaster is that you have to wait in line for about two hours for a 90-second thrill. And then once the 90-second thrill is over, you wait in line again for another two hours because there's a line of people also waiting to get this thrill. And this is the world that we live in, a life that's filled with people who are trying to find significant in all the wrong places, ignoring the fact that Jesus is their one and total full fulfillment. I want to let you know this afternoon that Jesus will fulfill your life more than anything ever can. And we, we find Solomon, once he's tried it, he's indulging himself in the luxuries of life. He, he says, hey, you know what? Like, if the work didn't work, right? Like, like if everything that I was searching doesn't work, if the, if, if the passions and the pleasures of, of, of life didn't work, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to indulge myself in the luxuries of life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he says, I took and undertook great projects, and I built houses for myself, and I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees for myself. I brought male and female slaves for myself. I owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. He goes even on to say that he acquired male and female singers he did all this for himself like he didn't have to go to a party he was the party he brought the band he brought the liquor he brought the the drugs and no one could tell him anything because he was the king but after the party he says yet again vanities of vanities life is empty and without meaning and that's the thing about sin that for a moment it feels good. But a couple minutes after, it'll leave you feeling emptier than you were before. And then for some reason, you start looking for another fix. And it's because we're looking for things that no longer give eternal satisfaction. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he also goes on to say, hey, you know what? The parties didn't work, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to search for knowledge. I'm going to search for wisdom. The bank can start coming up. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 12 to 14, it reads like this. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do that has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly. Just as light is better than darkness, the wise have eyes in their heads while the fools walk in darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. It's crazy, right? Because then he goes on to look for education. And education is a good thing, right? Like, like there, there are things in life that are good things. But when you take a good thing and you make it a God thing, it becomes a meaningless thing. And what happened to him, he was trying desperately to make things a priority before God. He said, I don't need God. I'm going to search for wisdom. I'm going to find knowledge on my own. And then the passage continues to say that one day he was looking out his window. And as he was looking out his window, he sees a man. He describes him as a fool. This guy was less educated. And, and then he says, for a moment, I felt good. Right? Like when I was looking at him and I realized that I have wisdom and he doesn't. When I was looking at him and I realized that my life is good and, and his life doesn't look so well. I can see that education for me, it did well. And at the pursuit of knowledge for me, it did well. But then he says, but a couple of moments later, he got depressed. Because then he began to think, what's going to be the result of this? Then he says, you know what, at the end we all die. At the end we all die. So then he concludes this first chapter in saying life is it's meaningless. You see, death is the great equalizer among everybody. It doesn't matter if your education levels are higher than somebody else. It doesn't matter if your fulfillment and luxuries and pleasures are higher than somebody else. Can I, can I be honest with you this morning? I'd rather be broke and know Jesus than not know Jesus and be rich. Because I've met people who have the world at their fingertips but yet aren't satisfied. Remember one time I used to work at a law firm and it was a crazy experience. I love lawyers, my sister-in-law is a lawyer, but this, this particular person, he had the world at his fingertips. Beautiful wife, beautiful kids, but he was wasting his life away on drugs and, and drug abuse and he was sad and, and he was depressed and I remember saying, we would have conversations and he would go, Michael, what do I need to find satisfaction? And I would tell him, the answer is Jesus. Once you have Jesus in your life, you will experience ultimate satisfaction. It doesn't matter if your dreams doesn't come true. It doesn't matter if your life no longer looks like the picture that you had planned. Once you got Jesus in your life, everything else works out. Come on, Jesus. He's all we need. And in order to find purpose under the sun, something that we got to remember is that we must look at life beyond the sun. I just want to give you some handles really quick. First handle I want to give you is this, is that once you find purpose in life, once you find your purpose, life starts to have meaning. The first thing we got to do in order to find purpose, and this is something that I learned. First thing we got to do to find purpose, and it's something that I'm trying to apply in my own life is this is that number one we have to find ourselves you find yourselves when you discover your purpose in God the second thing that you have to do is that you have to lose yourself 
when our purpose becomes bigger than who we are and we start investing our life into eternal things then our life has matter and significance you see everyone is building their life on something some people build their life on families some people build their life on careers and yet they still find themselves empty but when we build our life on the Word of God and on who God says we are, we begin to experience life and life more abundantly. And Jesus gives an example of some people that where, where their passion becomes, it becomes misplaced. Actually, before I get there, I, I skipped something. I want to backtrack. Is that okay? I'm going to go back. I want to I do something really quick. Jesus gives an example of this about the concept of finding yourself and losing yourself. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to 36. This is what he says. It says, Then he called the crowd to him, and along with his disciples, and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me, for the gospel, will save it. What is it good for someone to gain the whole world yet they lose their soul. Can I take you to a, to a quote really quick from Mark Twain? This is what he says. He says, the two most important days in your life are the day that you were born and the day that you figure out why. And if you want to find out why you were placed on this earth, and if you want to find out your purpose and you want life to have meaning, this world won't give you the answers, but the one who will give you the answer is the creator of the world. It's your creator and his name is Jesus. And and here's the thing, to find your purpose, remember I said you got to look beyond the sun. Jeremiah 29 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. This is exciting news to know that God is thinking about me. And that God says, not only am I thinking about you, but I got plans for you. Can I let you know this morning that God is thinking about you? Well, one of the most exciting things for me and one of the things that bring me so much happiness and joy and fulfillment is when I get a text from somebody that I love, like my wife or, or somebody that I look up to, like one of our pastors or a mentor, and they say, you know what, Mike? Uh, I've been thinking about you. I, I want you to know that this week it may have been difficult. Life may seem meaningless for a season, but I want you to know that, that I've been thinking about you. And not only have I been thinking about you, but I also want you to know this, that God has a plan for your life. And maybe you've never heard those words before, but just like I received those text messages and it brings fulfillment, I want you to know that God is sending you a message today that He loves you and that He has a plan for your life. Not only is He thinking about you, but He has a plan for your life. So how do we figure out this plan and purpose? Number one, you got to identify your passion. God is uniquely placed inside of us a specific passion. Usually your passion is linked to your purpose. And when you begin to live your passion, you begin to live on purpose. And life gets meaning. But what happens is sometimes we experience misplaced passion. Just like Solomon did, like he started misplacing his passion. He put his passions in the world and in treasures. And he put his passion in women and, and he felt that life was meaningless. Now there's a beautiful example in John chapter 21. When Jesus gives an example of misplaced passion. Can we read it together? So in John 21, they're going to put it up on the screen. It says, Afterward Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter Thomas, also known as Didymus, P. Diddy, 
Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. This was, he goes, I'm going out fishing, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find someone and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of all the large fish that were in the net. And here we have a crazy example of what misplaced passion looks like. Here we have Jesus and his disciples. The, the disciples, Peter, he goes, hey boys, I'm, I'm going back fishing. Like, like this life, it, it's not working. I, I'm going to go back to fishing. And, and fishing was the thing that gave their life um, the sustainment. It, it's what fed them. It's the thing that they believed that would sustain them. But the Bible says that they were up all night. Right? Like I'm guessing like 11 o'clock at night because the Bible says that Jesus met them on the shore in the morning. So all night they were passionately trying to fish. They were putting all their efforts in trying to catch something. But they failed. Their work was futile. It was meaningless. Nothing was caught. But then the Bible says that Jesus showed up in the morning. He says, hey Peter, I know you've been working all night. I know that you've been misplacing your passion and I know that you're probably tired, but can you try something for me? Can you just, can you just throw your net to the other side of the boat? And I can imagine Peter, Peter's like, Jesus, are you serious, man? Like, I've done this. I, I've fished longer than you have. I've been trying to, it's just not working out. And, and Jesus is like, Peter, just, just throw your nets on the other side of the boat. When he throws his net to the other side of the boat, the Bible says that all of a sudden, a large number begin to fill up the nets when they direct their passion in the right direction. And what I want you to know this morning is that life probably feels tired. You probably feel like you've wasted all your effort. You probably feel like you've got no more passion inside of you. Can I tell you that's okay. For a season your passion was misplaced. But when you direct your passion in the way of Jesus, your nets will be full and your life will be meaningless and you will find left everlasting in Jesus. And if I can conclude this message, I, I would conclude it like this. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Th this is the main thing that I want you to get from Ecclesiastes chapter 1. You ready? It's, it's this. Is that the human heart is too big for this world to fill. Your heart is too big for this world to fill. Just like Solomon tried to fill his heart with pleasures and he misplaced his passion and, and he looked for it in all kinds of areas and, and he couldn't find it. But, but here's the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is this, is that I'm too big to fit in your heart. So what he says is this, is not only will I fill your heart with my Holy Spirit, but not, you won't only be full, but you will now begin to live in a life of overflow. So now you will no longer go through life thirsty and looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places because you have, find, you have found meaning and fulfillment in Jesus. Can we pray? Father, I thank you so much, God, for the service. And I thank you for everyone that you've brought into this house this morning. And God, I ask right now, Lord, that as people make decisions to redirect their passion in your direction, God, that you would begin to knock on the doors of their heart. Amen. And maybe you've 
Maybe you would say, Mike, you know what? I, I can somewhat relate to that message. I've been, I've been misplacing passion. And, you know, I, I've come to a point in my life where my life, it, it feels meaningless. What I'm going to ask you to do in the moment, it's something that we usually do all together. But if that's you, I'm going to ask everybody right now, if we can just bow our heads and we can just close our eyes. If you're here this morning and, and you want to make a decision to redirect your passion to Jesus, and if you want to find total fulfillment and meaning in life, if that's you, I'm just going to count to three. And when I count to three, I just want you to raise your hand and I want you to put it right back down just so I can see where you're at so I know that I'm, that, who I'm praying for. If that's you, one, Jesus loves you. If that's you, two, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Every eye closed, every head bowed. If you want to make that decision right now, just to put your trust and your faith in Jesus, I'm just going to ask you, come on, just put your hand up right now wherever you are so I can see you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. You, you, and you, and you over here, and you here, and God bless you. Come on, is there anybody else? Is there anybody else this morning? You say, you know what, Mike, I, I've tried it all. God bless you. Good move, man. Good move. God bless you. All right, you can put your hand down and I'm just going to ask you to repeat a prayer after me. And this is a prayer that we're all going to repeat together as a family. Say this, say, dear Jesus, I invite you inside to be my friend, to be my savior, to be my God. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins and wash me clean. I want to follow you for all the days of my life. And it's in Jesus' name all of God's people said. Come on, all of God's people said. Come on, can we celebrate all the lives that have crossed over from death to life?